on down there. So, yeah, well, thanks again for being here this morning. Um, so, how many of you have ever seen this meme of two guys struggling underground? You guys seen this one before? Yes. It's kind of a, thank you, thank yes. you, I appreciate that. Amen, amen, here we go. So, so I remember seeing this a while back, and, and it, 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 there's a lot going on here, right? Now, I've also seen the one where the guy is trying to tunnel out from the prison, and what he doesn't see ahead of him is that he's about to get into an outhouse, but you know, we're not going to go there this morning, because so, that would be really inappropriate for church. But anyhow, um, but no, this one, right? Like This is, this is so, uh, so symbolic of how we are in life a lot of times. The one guy on the bottom, he, he's like so close to getting to the treasure, to the good stuff. But he finally just is like, you know what? Forget this. I'm done. I, I can't go anymore. I'm done. I'm going to turn around. And the other guy is like ravenously charging ahead there, right? Now, last week we looked at um, uh, Matthew chapter 27, the last part of chapter 27. And, and things looked hopeless, we looked at how Jesus was betrayed, um, accused, condemned, abused, tortured, and killed, right? It was really interesting to kind of have some conversations following up from last week because I had somebody say, I don't know if I've ever studied the Easter passage outside of Easter and, and, uh, or the, the week leading up to it, right? The Good Friday passage. And, uh, and so it was, it was really interesting to, to go through that um, out of the typical Easter season. And, and we kind of, we saw how we left it looking hopeless. Things looked awful because they had killed him and then they put him in this tomb and rolled a stone in front of it and then sealed it because they didn't want anybody to, to steal the body of this, of this radical Jesus guy. And so the disciples um, and a lot of the followers, all but just a few, are running into hiding, right? It's kind of like they were the guy on the bottom of that picture. It's sort of like, man, Jesus was a great ride while it lasted, but I think this is it. I think this is it. And they were giving up hope and unaware that they were right on the edge of the most pivotal moment in all of human history. What challenges have you faced in your life? What challenges are you maybe facing right now? What barriers, what, what struggles, what questions, what doubts, what fears, what addictions, what debts, what pain, what shame, what disappointment, what hurt? What are the things that are telling you, stop, give up, turn around, this isn't going to get better? It's only going to get worse. Just, just close up shop, stop believing, give up on this, go home. What do we find ourselves turning to in those moments of struggle and barrier? Well, Easter's hitting in November this year because we're going to find the rest of the story. We're going to find out the best news humanity has ever heard. If you have your Bibles, you can turn in... Uh, Matthew chapter 28 or follow along up here on your phone or however you typically do. But we're going to be looking um, at the first uh, section of Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start with verse 1. It said, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary 
went out to visit the tomb. Now again, all the disciples, all the guys that were like, I'm not going to let you get betrayed. I'm not going to let you get killed. I'm going to chop off the Roman soldiers' ears and everything like that. When, when push came to shove, what did they do? They ran. They're hiding. They're all in hiding. They're in fear of the authorities, right? Everything seemed over. They seemed hopeless. But here are these two women. These two women, and again, I don't want to like overstate this because I, 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 I try to bring out this because in this culture, women were nothing. They weren't accepted. They weren't uh, at the forefront of society. They were, they were not valued. They were, it's kind of funny because there's some actual uh, critique of, well, they were just women who could believe that, right? But then there's the reverse of saying, if they were going to come up with a lie, they would have said the guys saw this because guys were believable, right? And it's just the way the, the culture was back then. Fortunately, we've come a long ways, probably have a ways to go yet. But he says specifically that two women were there to take care of, of Jesus, right? They were just going to go. They didn't care who saw them out there grieving. Their best friend, their Savior, their Messiah was in that tomb. And so they waited till Sabbath was over. And early Sunday morning, they went uh, to go just be close to the body of Jesus. They weren't going to cower. And as a result, we're going to see them as the primary witnesses to the most amazing miracle in the history of the world. Verse 2, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook in fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Now, what's interesting is an earthquake had just happened a couple days earlier. Remember when that happened? When Jesus said, it is finished, he gives up his, he gives up his spirit, and he dies, and boom, an earthquake happens. The veil in the temple is torn from the top to the bottom because God did it. He opens a way between humanity and himself, and that was a cataclysmic earthquake. Stones shattered Dead people came back to life, and now here we are again a couple days later, and there's another earthquake. And this angel comes from heaven, and he, and he rolls away the stone. Now, there's some really cool things going on here. Um, first of all, I love how it says that the angel's face, his, his robes were white, but his face was like lightning. It's not just he was glowing. Have you ever seen lightning? <laughs> It's bright. You can't even look at it. If you do, it scars itself into your eyes for like for seconds, if not even minutes, right? Like the, to see this angel, it was so otherworldly. It is the spiritual realm come into the physical realm and his face is just overpowering and overwhelmingly radiant. Now, understandably, the guards freak out. Um, a lot of times, you know, I, I, I teach from the New Living Translation because it's, it's kind of an idea for idea translation. It's easy to understand. But I don't like the translation of, of this. The actual, if you go back to the original Greek, the, the Greek reads like this. They became like dead men. It's not that they fainted. They literally became like dead men. They were powerless. And I love how the exegetical commentary says this. The irony is not to be missed. The ones assigned to, assigned to guard the dead themselves appear dead. Well, the dead have now been made alive. 
So they're the living there to guard the dead. The dead comes to life, and the living are now dead. I love the irony of that. This is great storytelling. They want us to understand the significance of what actually happened. Now, what's cool is that there's this earthquake. He comes down, and he shines in this radiance, and the guards literally fall as if dead. Um, And what do they do? They roll away the stone. Now, a lot of you kind of have seen this before, but here's a picture of what a common grave was like in, in the Holy Land of that day. It was a dugout into the side of a cliff, and, and you would kind of have to go down into there, and then it kind of opened up, and they could have, you know, uh, bodies or a body or bodies in there. But to cover it, they had this big round stone. Now, a small stone, what, what happened is they would take a stone, they would carve it, and they would put it into a track, like right on the, on the inside the lip of that front little bottom row, um, it literally would sit in this track and you would roll it down and it would actually go down and kong, fall into place. And to get that stone into place, a small stone took 20 soldiers to roll that into place. Now, what's, what's really fun, again, sorry, I'm a nerd. I love history. I love language. I love all the stuff behind the scenes that is just so much fun. In Matthew chapter 27, 60, it says they rolled a large stone. The Greek for that is megas. It was a megastone. <laughs> if it took 20 grown men to roll a small stone in, it probably took 30, 40 plus men to leverage things to where it could get into place. Now, what's, uh, I like how uh, one of the commentaries said um, that I was studying, it says that Jesus didn't need the angel to roll the stone away to get out. Rather, he rolled it away so that Jesus' followers could see in. Isn't that cool? Jesus didn't need. He already re- was resurrected. But what they did was they rolled away to show he's not here anymore. There's no way that anybody could have rolled this away and and stole his body out of there because there was guards guarding the entire time. Now, what's really interesting is that then he says, the the Bible says that the angel rolls away the stone, and what does he do? Pops a squat right on top of the stone. He says, you guys say that, or is this is the Nebraska farm boy thing? You just sit down, take a seat, son. You know, he sits on top of this stone. Now, why? We don't know. He doesn't tell us. But here are some possibilities of why the angel could have sat on a stone. Number one, he sat in defiance of the powers that be. Crucifixion was a dehumanizing, degrading, demoralizing method of execution to say, you're powerless. Your Savior is dead in here. Oh, yeah? I'm going to sit down on your authority, you know? It's, it's the dis- this defiance. Now, if he would have quickly came and rolled it away, and then he was scared, he would have ran away. No, he wasn't going to run from anybody. Another possible option is that what was once meant to be the ultimate barrier between Jesus and humanity has now become a mere footstool. It's no more than the ottoman that you kick your feet up on top of at the end of the day. It was meant to seal the fate of Jesus, and he's like, nah, not going to work. Another option is that he's establishing dominance over sin and death in dramatic fashion. You know, if, if you just, if you defeat something, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I, I, I hate this call. Some of you are going to, you like football, and I think one of the worst uh, um, rules in football is as a lineman, you, as an offensive lineman, you are to push your defender away, 
right? And as a really good defender, you, or as a really good offensive lineman, you what's called pancake block. You push the guy so hard that he falls down. Well, you could let him sit there, or you could belly flop on top of him. That's... Thank you. You're going to be an offensive lineman someday with that attitude. And what's so funny is that, I, you know, again, I'm proud dad, and my, well, my oldest son is a college offensive lineman. And, and it's so funny because throughout the season, either in person or online, I would see him, and he would do that, and you just kind of like push, and then he kind of fall over, and they're so like, oop, you know. And it's kind of like adding insult to injury, you know. <laughs> it's very sportsmanlike. Um, but, <laughs> You know, Jesus or the, the angels spiking the stone or something like that. But now they call it a hold because it's not good sportsmanship. It's like, no, I just owned you, and I'm going to belly flop on top of you to add insult to injury. Maybe the angel sits on top of it. Is that the same type of thing? I don't know. Or maybe he was just simply taking a seat to take in the most cataclysmic, life-changing moments in all of history of the world. He wanted to sit, and he wanted to take it all in. I don't know. Maybe it's all of these. I don't know. But I love that detail of saying he rolls it away and then he sits on top of the stone. Regardless, what was meant to keep Jesus in his place and us away from him is now gone. We're going to skip ahead to verse 11. We'll come back to those middle verses here. But join me in verse 11 uh, through 15. It says, As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what happened. A uh, A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, You must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you and so, so you don't get into trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said that they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Okay, so the Roman guards wake back up, and who do they run to? Do they run to their government of their government officials? No, they go to the religious authorities. Because if they would have gone to their Roman government authorities, they would have been put to death. They were scared. They, they knew that they had failed, and so now they go to the religious leaders, and the religious leaders hatched this plan and paid them off nicely to say, well, we were asleep, and the disciples came and stole it away, stole the body away. Okay, doesn't take a whole lot of digging to debunk the logic of this. Because how many guards, like how would the guards have slept through 20, 30, 40 disciples coming and rolling away Megastone, (laughs) right? Like that would have, I mean, they were asleep. I'm sorry, but if, if 30 or 40 men come and move this stone away, they would have woken up. Not to mention the earthquake, right? But it kind of shows us that them, just like so many others since, our first reaction to the miracles of Jesus is to deny, ignore, or to try to explain away the miracle of Jesus and his resurrection. I think that's really interesting how they include that in there because they show, even in the face of, I mean, at least the Roman centurion, when he sees Jesus dying on the cross, he says, surely you are the Son of God. But these guys wouldn't even accept it then. They take the bribe, they deny it, they ignore it, and they try to explain it away. So now let's go back 
to what the angel has to say to Mary and Mary in verses 5 through 10. It goes like this. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Just as he said, it would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he, was, that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. There's a lot going on in this passage, but the angel tells them four different things. First, don't be afraid. Really? (laughs) Oh, okay, I won't be afraid, right? Have you ever gone into your kids when your kids were having like night terrors or bad dreams or the boogeyman was in their closet or under their bed or whatever? Hey, don't be afraid. Oh, okay, thanks, Dad. You know, like, I mean, but that's what he says. He says, don't be afraid. In the middle of our fear, remember joy. Remember joy. We've talked about this from time to time, but here's here's a quote that I think we need to remember, is that fear reveals faith. Fear reveals faith. You see, the disciples were cowering and hiding They said that they believed Jesus, but Jesus had told them time after time, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back to life. Did they believe him? In the moment, they were like, yep, yep, yep. Okay, sounds good. But what happened when it actually hit the fan? Oh, no. Jesus is dead. And they ran and hid in fear. It revealed what they actually believed. Whereas these two women, they were grieving, but they were still holding on to hope. They went just to be in the vicinity of Jesus' body, praying that what he said would come true, possibly. They were still afraid, but they believed in what Jesus said. Fear reveals faith. We can say we believe all sorts of things, and I use the example of, I can believe that that the plane is going to take me into the air, but until I actually get in, buckle my seat, and allow the plane to take off, I don't really believe it. I have to put my full surrender into that faith, the object that I put my faith in. And what's cool here is that the angel, he doesn't just say, don't be afraid. He, he actually speaks truth into the fear. He reveals what's actually true in the uncertainty. You see, the problem is, is that when we're digging like that bottom guy in the tunnel, finally we're like, I don't know, I was supposed to dig and there's supposed to be a treasure at the end of this, but I'm not seeing it yet. I'm going to give up. What did he really believe? He didn't believe what he was promised. And so the angel speaks truth into the fear. He reveals what's actually true. And I think that's what we have to do when we're afraid. 
We have to continually fill our minds with God's word. We have, to, we have to allow the spirit to speak into our minds and our hearts. We need to allow the community to come alongside of us and to reflect God's truth into our hearts because we're so bombarded with other voices internally and externally. We have to fill our minds and our hearts with truth to remind us what's actually true. Because in reality, a lot of us continually live in fear as if this stone is still there. The grave is still closed. Joy is closed off. So he says, don't be afraid. He doesn't just stop there. The next thing he says is, come and see. Come and check out the proof for yourself. Come and check it out. The cool thing is, is that last week we talked how the cross is the one of the one-two punch of Jesus' salvation. Well, the grave is the two of the one-two punch of Jesus' salvation. It's the pinnacle of the Christian faith. The cool thing is, is that Jesus' death means that our past, our sin, our death is dead. It's gone. He is our Savior. He saves us from those things, right? But the resurrection, Jesus' life, means that we are given freedom and victory now and forever. He is our Savior. Our past is dealt with. He is our Lord. Our, Our future is determined. And that's what I love about baptism, and that's why we always talk about that, is, is we're buried, we are dead to our sin in Christ, and then we're raised to new life through him. It's, it's the gospel in two simple acts. It's such a beautiful thing. It reveals the story of what Jesus did and who we are in him. I like how the Christ-centered exposition commentary says that Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our whole belief system, everything that we believe, stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus overcame sin and death, it means he's king, right? He is king. He's not just a good man, a good example, a good teacher, someone we look up to, someone we want to be like, right? He is king, and we're called, we're invited to come and see how the stone in the grave meant nothing to him. He was king over that, is that the stone in the grave didn't have the last word over our lives. The resurrection does. Life does. That powerful king gives his spirit to us, and he rolls away the stones in our lives, and he sets us free too. I love how uh, the scene where as soon as Jesus reveals himself, as soon as he comes up to them, as they're going on their way, uh, what do they do? They fall on their faces, and they grasp Jesus' feet, and they worship him. That is what surrender, that is what salvation looks like. Too often, I I remember just kind of seeing, especially when I was younger, um, it was kind of like, add Jesus to your life and see all the good that he brings, right? It's kind of like cafeteria plan. I want this and I want that. I don't want to give up that yet. And I don't want to take that on that. You know, it's sort of like, we kind of, we kind of view it. So sort of like ordering at the restaurant, um, okay, God, I'm going to take that. Can we modify that to meet my tastes better? You know, that's not how it works. Notice it says that they worshiped him. How do they worship him? They fell on their faces. I'm telling you, we're we're not like too crazy or anything like that, but if you ever feel the prompting of God to say, I want you to bow before me, have the freedom to do that. 
I will never forget, I was, I was on a missions trip in, in, rural, in rural Appalachian country, and, and we were serving some, some, um, some missions work there. And, and I remember one night, uh, we were just worshiping, and, and uh, it's sort of like, Jesus, or uh, J- Jason, surrender to me. And I was like, oh, I have, God, I have. And it's sort of like, no, 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 I, I, want, I want to see this. I want, I want you on your face. And I was like, well, isn't that a bit extreme? I mean, what are my, I was a youth pastor. I was like, what are my kids going to think? I don't want to be showy. I don't want to, I don't want to be like that. And it's sort of like, it's up to you. I'm calling you to show that you surrender to me right now. And I'll never forget. It was kind of a dark room. And, and so I kind of like quietly moved my way to the back and I was fighting it. I was like, no, 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 I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And, and finally I was like, okay, I'm just going for it. And I just, I just lay on my face on the ground. And I started weeping because it's kind of like, God, thank you that I can be vulnerable. I don't have to, you know, I have some friends that are training some dogs right now. And one of the things that we don't realize is that dogs want to be the alpha. And that is the worst thing for them. Because when they think that they're the alpha, everything is on their shoulders. They run the roost. Well, guess what? They were never meant to run your house. We were never meant to run God's world. He was. And when we try to assert our dominance over God, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. Look at our world. We're asserting ourselves. We are, we are being glorified. I am wanting this. Well, I want this. I want that. I like how my buddy Rod Jost says, if there's, what, 8 billion people in the world and truth is relative and everybody has their own truth, well, what happens when 8 billion truths conflict with each other? Watch the news. We need to fall on our faces in the presence of Jesus and truly worship him. Surrender to him. Come and see his goodness. The third thing that he says is go quickly and tell. Don't be afraid. Come and see. Now go quickly and tell. The angels tell these women, don't delay. Go tell the the disciples what Jesus is doing. Now, note what Jesus calls them. Did you catch it? Brothers. Jesus calls the disciples his brothers. These spineless, wimpy, cowardly dogs that are hiding because they're afraid of the very people that they were so boldly speaking out against before. They denied him. They turned their back on him. They left him. And what does he do? He says, go tell my brothers. Go tell my sisters. That is a very pregnant statement because it shows he has forgiven them and he has reconciled them to himself. That is good news. If I had a dime for every time I have personally felt or I've talked with someone who personally feels that they're not worthy, they're not good enough, they're, you know what? We're right. We're not. We're not worthy. We're not good enough. We're not amazing enough. But you know what? God draws us to himself. And that is good news. I don't have to pull myself up by my bootstraps because he loves us. He's the one who gives us that freedom. And that is really, really good news. It's a gift that we can receive. And then Jesus wants us to go quickly and urgently tell as many people as we can what we've seen and what we've experienced. Now, he is not saying you have to have it all figured out. You have to have all the, all the correct 
doctrine, all the practices. You have to eradicate all sin from your life. You have to be able to recite, you know, be like Billy and recite, you know, 75% of the Bible from memory and, and things like that, right? There's not this threshold that we have to go across before we can go and tell people. We just have to know Jesus. We have to come and see him and now come and see, now go and tell. Go without delay and simply share what we've seen. I'm going to say this next part in as much humility as I can. If we're not passionately telling people about what we've seen, have we seen it? That's, I got size 16 shoes, so my toes got stepped on way more than any of yours did on that statement. Because I'm also have to ask myself that. If, if we are not passionately telling people about Jesus, and I'm not saying that everybody has to be an extrovert. God, in, God gifted some of us as introverts. It's not that you have to go be a people person. It's just, do we make it a habit of telling people about the goodness of Jesus that we personally have seen ourselves? I think we can kind of reverse engineer and say, if I'm not passionate about that, it's not a condemning statement. It's more of an investigative one of a reverse engineering of saying, if I'm not sharing Jesus, why not? God, why am I not? How can I grow closer to you? How can I experience you in a way that I can share you with others? That, that's a more of an encouragement than anything else. I think we need to ask ourselves, can we go quickly and tell? And if not, why not? I think we need to look into that. The last thing is this. He says, remember. Remember what I've told you. Jesus tells the disciples to meet him in Galilee. Now, why Galilee? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, going back to probably last April or May, <laughs> when we did this passage, Let's get a little refresher here. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It says this, This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in the land were death where death, where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. For then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day, Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Jesus takes them back to where it all started. How cool is that? I didn't really catch the significance of Jesus saying, yeah, go meet me at Galilee. It wasn't this strategic, you know, like defense position or anything like that. Instead, he takes them back to where it all started and he called them to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
Next week, we're going to look, we're going to close out the study of Matthew by looking how Jesus is going to restate and renew that calling and that mission for his people and his church. It kind of shows, though, that Jesus isn't some lone rebel who's trying to take on this impossible empire. He's a victorious king, and he's calling us to join his victorious mission. As followers of Jesus, we need to continually remember to dwell. That word to remember means like recite these things, remind ourselves, remind each other, rehearse these things over and over and over again. When we want to turn around and say, I can't take any more, we need to be alongside of each other as brothers and sisters filled with his word and his presence and saying, I'm with you. I got you. We can do this. Don't give up. Keep, remember what God did remember there was a season in Nicole's in my life where, where we were just had wits end and a ministry thing that we had tried to, to take on had just, just blown up in our faces and it was just hurt really bad. And there's a lot of just goofiness that happened that, that really stung us and, and we were mad at and, and everything like that. And, and we moved away and, and, and I, I got out of ministry for a while and I remember just being overcome with this mad, I was mad and angry and mean and angsty and, and, uh, I never would have thought going into the desert thinking that's where I was going to experience God the most. But after four years of living in the desert, I realized that's where we experience God the most. And walking out the other side of the desert, and as we were kind of going into what God had called us towards, we would look back and say, remember when we experienced God in that ravine? And remember when we didn't see our way around this? And God revealed himself out. And remember how God like, spoke to us, and, and, and we came out the other side We went in fearful, but we came out the other side exhilarated and empowered and excited. He wants us to remember to dwell on those things. Just those simple truths of who he is, what he's done. We can't allow ourselves to get sucked into trivial things that distract us and each other from his goodness, from his sovereignty as king as a loving king or from the mission that he has for us. And we'll talk more about that next week. Not that our lives are going to be perfect, not that we're going to have everything together and we're going to be a perfect reflection of him. But the beauty is, is that our lives should be the proving grounds of his grace, of his love, of his strength, of his transformation. We've talked before about how Conflict is the price we pay for deeper levels of intimacy. Are our lives revealing a true intimacy with Jesus through the hard stuff? Sometimes that can reveal God the most. Our weaknesses, we're jars of clay, right? His grace is made perfect in our awesomeness. No, in our weakness. It's the cracks that reveal the light that come through us. It's not ourselves, it's him. The graves, the struggles reveal the goodness and the glory of God. And going back to this angel who is sitting on the megastone, part of me wonders if he was just taking in the moment to remember himself. Because he probably knew the plan. He probably knew if he was kind of high up enough in the angelic forces to like, wait, you get to be the one that goes and rolls away this though? No way, I'm so jealous. No, it was his heaven, we're not jealous. Blessings on you, angel, right? <laughs> You first. No, I insist. No, I insist, right? 
But can you imagine seeing the whole story coming to fruition in that moment? And just sitting there saying, wow, this is happening. This is real. So the big idea of this passage is this. Jesus has already overcome the power of death and removed any barriers between us and him. That is a fact. That is a truth. It has been done, and it will continue to be done. Jesus' resurrection means that he is king, and he has authority over life and death. He has authority over sin and Satan. He has authority over you and me. So moving from action, from belief to action, from knowing to doing, a couple questions. Number one, what stones stand in the way between you and Jesus? What stones do we act in our daily lives as if they're still there? Maybe it's between you and Jesus. Maybe it's between you and the life that he calls us and designs us to live. A life of love, freedom, forgiveness, of joy. What stones are we living as if we believe they're still there? And then two, how can we identify the barriers that are trapping us in the life that, that he's set us free to live? So identify those stones. And then the last thing is this, surrender them. Allow God to speak truth into our lives. Allow Jesus to bring that earthquake to, to like shine in his radiance as he rolls the stones away from our lives. It's like the, uh, the song that we sang um, this morning. This is truth. This is why I love worshiping. My sin was deep. My sin was bad. But your grace is deeper. My shame was wide. But your arms are wider. My guilt was great. But your love was greater still. Nothing we will ever do or will be done to us that is bigger than the love, the grace, the freedom, the joy, the transformation of our Savior Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these truths. I thank you for how, God, you draw us to yourself. God, you came to do battle where we could not do it ourselves. God, we still try to do that battle. We still somehow get deceived into thinking that we can, that we should, that, we, that we're supposed to. Instead, God, help us just to sit back and receive that gift. God, help us to be transformed by the magnitude of that gift. God, the, the work that we have to do is simply surrendering to you instead of trying to work against what you've done, what you want to do, of, of living in denial, living in fear, being consumed by the things that, that maybe have we've done or have been done to us. God, the work that we have to do is to simply fall at your feet and to worship you. To, to live in the reality of what you've done. God, I pray that you would just speak into our hearts right now. Maybe as, as we've been studying your word, God, maybe some of us have things that, that, that we've been wrestling with for a while. And we do our best to run and hide from. We do our best to deny 
to excuse, to reframe it in a way that maybe isn't so bad or, or just denies away its existence. But God, we still wrestle with it. God, I pray that we can surrender the reality of our lives to the reality of your love. God, nothing in this world is more powerful than its creator. And our creator loves us. God, we thank you for that. Help us to live in the reality of that love. Help us to live in boldness, in freedom. Help us to to see that as we come to you. Help us to to go quickly without without any delay, with, with urgency to share the message of that. And then God, help us to continually remember to dwell in the reality of that. God, fill our minds, fill our hearts with your word, with your presence, with your truth. God, help us to be brothers and sisters that walk alongside of each other. That when we're weak, we have someone we know loves us and and is your hands and feet. God, help us to live that out. God, so this morning, just if we need to surrender to you, I pray that we would surrender to you. I pray that we would let go of maybe some things that we've been holding on to and receive your love. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.